home of the stars, through the airwaves and on the big screen. Coming to you live from Hollywood, it's Rated G Radio with your host, Garrett Miller. Good evening, everybody. I'm so glad you're all here. We are back for another episode of Rated G Radio. I'm your host, Garrett Miller. Welcome to 2022. If you're new to the show, I can't wait for this year with you. But if you're old to the show, well, get out your Geritol because tonight you can throw it in the trash can. We're going to be welcoming a special guest co-host tonight, Rick Caritas. She'll be joining with us in just a few moments. But some programming notes, I want to remind everybody that every Monday night live here at Rated G Radio, we have got programming every single Monday night featuring our other hosts on our other shows on the network. So I'm sitting here trying to go through my Google Drive where I've carefully placed everything I could possibly ever find, and I can't find anything here. So um <laughs> makes so much sense. Um, but I renamed my 2021 guest co-host. I didn't rename it 2022, and here it is. Anyway, so next week, I'm going to have Rob Watson, who hosts Rated LGBT Radio on Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific. He's going to be my guest co-host. We'll find out about his new multi-million dollar uh, deals that he's doing as a freelance social media guru for people writing blogs and the millions of views he's getting on The Blade um, and all these other publications he writes for. So exciting to have Rob back on the show. And the last Monday, the month of 31st, we're going to welcome back Stephanie Gerard. You know Stephanie from her show, uh, the first Tuesday of every month called Journey with Stephanie. And each month, Stephanie brings on a unique uh, person in her realm of spirituality. She's a psychic Reiki healer and uh, counselor, and she'll be bringing on various different people from around the world and taking your calls. Um, Again, I know that you know this because you're listening every week. February 7th, Mary Lou Monroe Ray, live from Brisbane, Australia. She'll be joining us as well. So just excited to have all of you be part of the network. Uh, We are also on iTunes podcasts under the flagship rated LGBT radio, as well as iHeartRadio. You can find us there. So you can take us on the go. You can listen live. However you want to do it, it is fine as long as you tell two friends and they tell two friends and so on and so on, like the hair commercial goes from, oh, so many years ago. Without further ado, as I love to say, we're going to welcome Hollywood's very own Rick Caratosh to the show. Rick, welcome back to Rated G Radio. It's been a hot minute. Thank you. It's been a hot, yeah, three minutes, I think. <laughs> it's about three or four, yeah. So yeah. I don't. I, I just remember the first time I got to meet you in person, and I don't know if that was after you did the show or before you did the show, um, and we went up to some place. I'm going to say in Hollywood because it's just that's how I remember it. And I had a delicious burger and fries with you someplace. Yes, I don't remember where, uh, but I do remember doing that. Was I think, I think it was after we did the show. Could have been after, yeah. Anyway, yeah. but that was that was such oh. a treat. I don't usually yeah. get to indulge in that type of food, and I was like, I'm going to go have lunch oh, with right. Mr. Rick Caratosh. He's like famous, and I'm going to eat burgers and fries. This is awesome. It's an A plus day, so it was fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so famous, like people just kept coming up to us at the table. I'm not famous. What are you talking about? <laughs> Give me a break, Mr. 
you know, I've got movies and songs and books, and I just went down to San Diego to film a commercial. I mean, you, you're doing it all. You're living the dream. Living the dream of a third world country. No. Um, well, thanks. I mean, uh, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy doing what I do, so that's good. Okay. So, Rick, since it's been three minutes, um, I need to let the listeners know I've been after Rick for months when I restarted the show last year, and I said, I need to get Rick back on the show. And Rick said, you know, the only date, Garrett, that I can do this is January 17th. And I said, done. Um, so <laughs> what have you been doing in all of this time since we've been able to catch up? Yeah, it's been a few years, I guess. So with the pandemic and all that, I actually wrote a book during the pandemic called How Catering Sucked the Life Right Out of Me. See, if I was famous, I wouldn't have been doing catering for that long. But um, so that was kind of fun to write and put that out. And um, and then I wrote a bunch of songs, that a lot of Christmas songs that got played last year on a couple of radio stations. So that was kind of cool, um, uh, especially in Tennessee. There's one station that really played a lot of them and uh, got some good reactions. Um, I'm always writing stuff, as you know, you know, so um, just, yeah, scripts and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, But, yeah, just trying to stay... You know, I've been swimming a lot and um, just uh, staying above water. Well, yeah, I guess I, it's good I'm a good swimmer. <laughs> it helps me stay above water now that I think of it. But well, um, that, that would be so. I mean, as much writing as you do, do you enjoy writing songs or screenplays or books more? Well, it's probably songs. I mean, that I, that's what I started with. The first thing I started writing years ago uh, in my youth. Um, and they're the sh- shorter than books and scripts, I guess. But I enjoy writing all of them. Um, but probably songs because I love music. Um, I love country music. So a lot of songs I write are country. I'm also an NSAI coordinator, National Songwriter Association Inc. Uh, coordinator. We do songwriting workshops. So probably songs, I would say. Um, yeah. Well, and so you were talking about the workshops because I see you advertising those on Facebook every once in a while. And unfortunately, my schedule doesn't let me get to join in because otherwise I totally would. What are you doing with these workshops? How often do you have them? Who comes? What do you talk about? Yeah, we have them once a month. They're they're based out of Nashville, but every state has a chapter. And I run one of the ones, co-run it here in uh, L.A. And we do a song evaluation so people can bring songs and they can be, you know, in any, they don't have to be country. They can be all genres and they don't have to be fully finished, you know, or fully demoed or anything. It's the idea is to get feedback and improve the songs. And we get all kinds of, all kinds of people, um, new beginners to some more seasoned people. And sometimes we have guests, uh, you know, speakers and they're really good. They do a lesson or they also listen to the songs and give, critiques and evaluations so it's a fun group of people and it's just a way to get our you know the songs better and get them heard and network and all that kind of stuff so i enjoy um i've been with them a long long time and um you know we used to meet in person obviously but now with the you know we've been meeting on zoom the last year and a half so how has that improved the participation rate has what what's it doing to the people who are joining well, the Zoom is good in a way because people can tune in from any anywhere, whereas we used to meet in Pasadena, and so, you know, it might be far for people to drive and traffic and all that. So that's one good thing. And so we can, if you're in a, either, even in another state, you can join in on the Zoom meetings. So in some ways, I think it's, but it's nice to meet in person. We're looking forward to finally being able to do that one of these years. <laughs> Again. And, and so what, but, what do the meetings cost, Rick? Uh, well, it's if you're a non-member, you can attend two for free, and then if um, 
you can, then you can either pay fifteen dollars each each workshop, or you can join. I think it's two hundred dollars for the year, but you get um, like twelve song evaluations from NSAI from professional songwriters. You get two mentor sessions. You get two pitch to publishers, which is cool. You know where you actually get to pitch your songs to real publishers, um, and you also get access to all the videos on the site and, and other things. So it's it's worth joining if you're a serious or semi-serious uh, songwriter. Okay, not to try to build up your membership here, but how do people find out about that? I think that's one link I don't have attached to the show tonight. Oh, I know, yeah, they're NSAI, the website. If they just go to NSAI, it should come up, the website. They're based out of Nashville. It stands for Nashville Songwriters Association, Inc., I guess. So, yeah. Cool. So when's your next workshop? Uh, we, you know, it's funny. We just had one last night. And what's funny is I, was, I worked on a commercial in San Diego, and I literally on the way back had to pull over to the side of the road and do it from my phone, Zoom, because I, that's what time I got done at 5.15, and the workshop was at 6. So I went oh my to the gosh. side of the room. Yeah, at a gas station and doing the Zoom for like uh, two hours, the workshop, and then I drove the rest of the way home the other hour and a half. So we do one a month. They're usually the third Sunday of the month, and that's the L.A. chapter and. I think Malibu has their own chapter, and also um, San Diego has their own chapter as well. So isn't that amazing? You can spend two hours on the phone on a Zoom video call. If you think back five years or 10 years or 20 years ago when cell phones had such different rate plans, you'd never in a million years think that you're going to do a two-hour phone call out of a two-hour video call. Can you imagine the bill you would have gotten? Uh, you're right. I didn't think about that. You're absolutely right. Boy, how time wow. has changed on that. Yeah, so that's yeah. cool to be able to do that. So um, for, you know, a budding songwriter who might be listening in tonight who is going, you know, I just don't know. Because, you know, I see a lot of writer groups, Rick, and they're, they're like, you know, I, you, will you please read me first 10 pages. And will you first, you know, it, I think it's really kind of, it, it can be daunting if you're a songwriter that's out there and you don't know where to go. And it's like, am I good? Do I suck? You know, who who do I even talk to? I'm just I'm living in a tiny little town in Silverton, Oregon, or something like that. Um, you know, just the resource availability to come and, and meet with people like you must be just really such an eye-opening experience for people when they come and hang out, even if it is a Zoom. Yeah, no, I think it's really helpful, and I think like especially for people in it, it's a very supportive group, and you know we try to be very uh, positive, like find the good things first that we like in the song, and then if there's something that's not working, you know, very just make suggestions, and you know, it's of course it's people's opinions, and I always say take a pe- people's opinions with a grain of salt and a margarita. Yep. Actually, and, I, <laughs> that I like that I like that song title for sure. So if you are coming in with a song, um, what, what's been your experience with somebody who comes in with a song um, about their re- receptivity to feedback? Are they like, okay, I'm going to take what you say, and they go change it? Or do they say, screw you, my song's perfect. I don't know why I asked you in the first place. Right. Well, I mean, it's funny. It's hard. They're your babies, so it is probably hard to be not be defensive about if someone doesn't like something, whatever. And we, again, we try to be very we say this is just opinions and we, and again, if one person says something, I, I, you know, you just, you do take it with a grain of salt. If four people say that line's not working, you know, the, the writer might want to take it more seriously. Say, oh, maybe that could do that better. Or maybe that melody should do that. Or may, you know, but it's up to some people, most of the people in the group really are very receptive. Um, and again, it is their song and it depends what they want to do with the song. 
if they just want to sing it on their own in a club or something, then they, they pretty much can, you know, do whatever they want. If they're trying to pitch it, though, to become a country hit or a pop hit, there's certain things publishers are going to look for or singers are going to look for. So it, it benefits them if they listen to what people are saying that would improve the song. So, um, you know, I think most people are pretty receptive, and especially the way we do it and, and, and just make the suggestions. But, um, you know, every once in a while you probably have someone that's, that maybe gets defensive or – but they don't really, you know – the way we do it, really, I think people feel very comfortable mm-hmm. coming to the workshops, and we try to do in-depth critiques and, and stuff. So, again, if you're doing any kind of writing, you have to be, whether it's scripts or books or whatever, you have to kind of have, be open to hearing suggestions and knowing not everyone's right, but, if, again, if a certain amount of people are saying something or what they say makes sense to you, then definitely use it. But, you you know, I think most writers, if they're too... I'm not changing anything. They're not going to get very far, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in your experience with the group, have you had any um, breakout success stories that you're able to talk about without having to sign an NDA? Um, well, the, the one thing that for me, actually, I actually co-wrote a song with another NSAI member in, in our chapter. I had an idea for a song, and it's a tribute to Donna Summer, actually. Um, and it's called When Donna Sang Last Dance. And we co-wrote it, and we have had a guy from The Voice sing it. We can't really say who the guy is, but we, and we put the song kind of out there. And um, it's actually being considered for a Donna Summer documentary right now, which is kind of cool that they're working on um, Donna Summer's Nice. Song. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. We'll see what happens. I, I feel it fits perfectly in there, and they liked it enough to consider it. So, you know, fingers crossed and um, toes crossed and... Isn't it just kind of odd? You know, you take these little babies that are these inspirations in your brain and you start putting pen to paper. And the next thing you know, you know, you're in a recording studio, either singing it or having somebody else sing it. Have you, uh, what's been kind of like your biggest shock as a songwriter once you've taken that origin idea to final product? My biggest shock, I mean, how it turned out or or what do you mean? Yeah, Um, or just, you know, just maybe the experience of doing it. Um, well, I'm always shocked, I guess, if it, I finish it and, it and it's well received. Um, I had a song, Midnight Will Be Clear, that I, I recorded. I did a video for it, and one of the guys in the video liked it. How you doing, Christian? Liked it so much that he did his own version. And, um, and that version actually like, was the, the 15th most requested song on the, for the holiday season on uh, WMCT radio. So that was like a big surprise. And a couple other of my songs that I sang were also on their from their listeners' calls on their top 30 um, requested songs. So, so that was really cool and a big, big surprise. Um, oh, by the way, that other song, the Donna Summer song I co-wrote that with David Sanchez. I, I, I think oh, nice. Good yeah. job for David Sanchez. The music so, and the – yeah. So how, how long does it take you to – what's your process? Do you start with music first or lyrics first or both? I'm more of a lyrics. I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't really play too many, you know, I don't really play any instrument really well. I play a few chords on the guitar. And so a lot of times I'll come up with a melody, but someone else is going to have to figure out chords and stuff like that. But so a lot of times I'll do lyrics first. Sometimes if I'm at the gym or I'm physically doing something, a melody and, and lyrics will come together to me. Sometimes that'll happen and I'll pull out my cell phone and sing into it, whatever's coming to me. But I'm, I am more lyrics and I've had a few people had me write lyrics for them, and then they put music to it. Um, 
actually a song called I'll Follow You that Patrick Basile did a few years back. And I wrote the lyrics and he, he did the music and the melody and all that. But yeah, I'm more of a lyricist, but I do come up with some decent melodies, but it's much harder for me to do melodies. And that's what's good about co-writing. Like most writers should co-write no matter what, but that's one of the benefits too. If one is stronger on lyrics and the other's better with music, or just when you bounce ideas back and forth, it, it just it goes in different directions it wouldn't have if you were doing it, you know, just on your own. Sure. Now, as a lyricist, as your primary, you know, contribution to the song, do you, um, how does the origin come to you? I mean, do you have like a concept of like, I want to write about, a, you know, a disco diva. Hmm, who should that be? Donna Summer. Hmm, what would be a good song? Last Dance. You know, how does that, how does that process evolve for you? All different kinds of ways, but for that particular song, um, I went to it. Uh, I was asked to sing it. It was a uh, Bob Estee tribute thing oh, uh, a couple of years ago, and um, he wrote "Last Dance" or "Donna Summer," and that's why I had the idea for that song. I thought, hey, what if a couple's first dance was to Donna Summer's summer song "Last Dance"? It's a song about their first dance was to her, and they're still together all these years later. And then it just oh. became this tribute song to her, and and a song about lasting love. So that's how I got that one, but. I, you know, I had you know, a lot of times I'll think of a title and then write around the title. So last year I thought of a title, I won't, I won't forget what you don't remember. I said, oh, that would be a song about Alzheimer's. So I wrote that song and we did a nice video and I give some of the proceeds to AFA, which is American Federation, uh, American, Alzheimer's Federation of America. And, um, but that, yeah, it's a, it wasn't written from an experience of mine. I just, the title and then I took, you know, envisioned or imagined what someone goes to, but in other words, you still have those memories that the other person doesn't have. Mm-hmm. It's, it's still, it's kind of sweet, but it's bittersweet. So yeah, I get ideas all over that. You know, the midnight will be clear song is about a guy who, that I came to me, it was in November, I was laying in my bed and I was thinking about Christmas and the song, it came upon a midnight clear. And then I said, Oh, the, how about this guy's favorite song is that. And this midnight, it'll be the first one that's clear in a long time. Cause he got sober last New Year's Eve was his resolution. And but, so that's how that came about. Um, and, um, yeah, so I don't, uh, I just get ideas all over the place or someone might say something and I'll say, Oh, that's a good song title or, um, yeah, I just get, I mean, I, I'm very lucky in that way that I get, I never get dry up of ideas, you know, but, um, it's just getting them, even once I write them, it's, you know, to make demos and stuff costs quite a bit of money. So I don't always get to make as many demos as I'd like to, uh, so do you have, um, when, when you're doing songs and you're going into the studio, is your, are you going in with pretty much a completed song lyrically and then you bring in either musician or producer who does the music for you? How does that, how does that look and feel yeah, for you? Time. I mean, sometimes I'll figure out, if it's eight chords on the guitar, I can figure it out and do like a little rough thing and then they can listen to it. And they, I go to a guy, actually, Big Rock Studios in, um, not Temecula, what is it called, uh, Escondida? Sure. Um, and, and Andy, uh, Big Rock Studios, and he plays all the instruments. He has his own studio. So a lot of times I'll just give him the, the melody and the lyrics, and sometimes I'll have someone, if they really know how to play guitar, I'll have them figure it out and then bring it to him. But then he puts it all together. Sometimes I'll sing it. Sometimes we'll get another singer, but he a lot of times does the background vocals on it. He does a great job. So if anyone's looking for a place to do demos of their songs, that's a great place to go. Um, there's some places in Nashville I've gotten some as well where you send in a rough work tape and then they'll get their studio musicians to do it. But, you know, it can be expensive to do all that. Um, and I'm luckily I, I can come up with enough of, of a melody a lot of times 
on my own. It's just, but I'm just singing it, and then they have to figure out uh, the everything else. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's you know for me. Um, and by the way, Bob Etsy, yeah. I absolutely adore him. He wrote a he co-wrote a song with me a couple of years ago for a movie that did not ultimately get made, but we did a song called Power to the Pansy, and it was a you know of course the tongue in cheek. Um, about the empowerment of the LGBT community and, you know, being able to rise up and just accept who you are. I think that may have been one of the last songs that he um, was involved in. And I, it was just a, an absolute pleasure every time I had a chance to go and visit Bob at his place. And we would sit there and he would, you know, say, Garrett, no, that lyric is terrible. This is why. And then he'd play something on his uh, keyboard. And I'm like, oh, that that makes sense. I totally get it. Um, but what a treat that man was. I'm so sorry he's gone. Yeah, well, that's an amazing story. That That's so um, great that you got to work with him and do that. that. No, that wasn't on your album, was it, that had the white wedding and all that, or no? Uh, that that, song well, that was, that was after. So back after in that. 2016, I had that the Blonde Jesus album come out, and okay, then um, okay. I did some singles, and I ran out of money, and blah, blah, blah. Life happened, right. and so I was – trying to be a very bad actor and that gives bad actors a bad name because I'm worse than that. Um, but I was thrown a few bones and did, you know, some bit parts and things like that. Nothing like what you've done starring in your own movie. Um, and we'll talk about the Prada movie in just a second, which we've, you've been on the show for before. Um, yeah. But I was approached by a casting director and he said, you know, we're making this movie. I've got a part for you. And, you know, at the time I was having some success with the songs off of the Blonde Jesus album. And I said, well, you know, instead of paying somebody to, you know, for rights for a song or something, why don't I write the theme song for the movie? And they're like, oh, my God. And I said, well, who could I get that would make sense as a disco type? And the first name that came up was Bob Etsy. And because I knew Bob from working with him. Um, with Rick Giannatos and Sherry Payne and Frida Payne and, uh, you know, all the people he's connected with and uh, reached out to Bob and he, Bob was like, yeah, come on over. Let's, um, let's hammer it out. But um, it, I did, I did include it on my Christmas album that just came out. Um, I've got a Halloween song, Thanksgiving song, Valentine's New Year's. And so I included the power of the pansy really as a gay pride anthem song to, oh, you know, nice. just kind of round it out. And I've even got an earth, day anthem on there too so anyway that's that's the bob thing but this is about you yeah. tonight so um thanks for indulging no, no, me there. I, to, I didn't know that's a good story i'm, I'm glad you know oh, i don't want to super fun um it's your show so well no <laughs> but i'm here to catch up with you bit. i mean I, I i i know me all the time i don't get a chance to yeah. hang out with you that often rick so that's, by the way we're great. about um halfway through the show i will let all of the listeners know Rick has a bunch of socials that are hyperlinked on the show page. So if you see Rick Caritosh, Sudi Rick Caritosh, or Rick's, and it's all hyperlinked on the show, you can click that, and it will take you to different socials for Rick. It's like an Easter egg in a big Hollywood movie. You're going to get that with Rick tonight on the show. If you're listening on uh, iTunes or on iHeartRadio, too bad for you. You'll just have to um, Google Rick or come back here to Blog Talk Radio and um, click the links. Unless, Rick, would you like to give a shameless plug directly? Oh, from my website and such, you mean? Or, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, the website is uh, www.sudirick.com. Dot com. My S-U-D-I-R-I-C-K. My, my legal name is Sudi, um, but that's too common, so I go by Rick. And then on Facebook, I think it's under Rick Sudi Kawartosh, just to confuse people even more. And, even more, um, 
Yeah, and I have a YouTube page, which I think is under Susie Cavertage, my first and last name. I'm trying to make them all the same, but it's always they put you through so many hoops to do stuff like that. So, But eventually I probably will. Um, well, I, I like that that you're at least flexible in making sure you get your name in there. So tell me about the or You've told me before, but for the listeners, tell me the origin of your first name, Sudi. Um, it's a Turkish name, not a common Turkish name, though. It was more of, a, I think, a surname, a last name on my father's side. He was from Turkey. So um, I was the only one. Well, no, I guess all my brothers and sisters, it's Sudi, then Sibel, and then Susie, but it's really Suzanne. So that was Turkish and then Kanan. But my youngest brother was named Kevin. So he got the American. <laughs> oh, there we go. Isn't family great? So did, how did you spend the holidays this year? Did you do anything fun? This year was, well, it was definitely, this year was better than last year. Because last year at Christmas, I had COVID. <laughs> oh. December of 2020. So that was awful. That was horrible Christmas, horrible New Year's. So this one was a kind of a quiet, mellow one, which was really, really nice. Um and, you know, I just kind of relaxed. I enjoyed it a little bit, you know, and, but I didn't go anywhere. I didn't go to the East coast like I usually do, or, um, it was kind of nice just to relax and enjoy and watch some Christmas specials. And, um, you know, I had a lot of Christmas songs out at the time. So I was able to enjoy having those out and, you know, letting people know about them and things like that. So, yeah. How about you? Did you stay in town or you go somewhere else? Well, I stayed, you know, I'm, I'm, don't be jealous, okay? I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, Rick. I can already see turning green. I worked, and then when I wasn't working, I worked some more. So even on Christmas Eve, because I okay, what? so for because I'm I'm stupid and I'm dumb, so I don't take any time off. I always work, and that's just the way it is. So I for the Christmas album, I don't know if you saw the pictures, probably not, because I haven't really shared a lot of it. Because I kept waiting to you know launch the Christmas album, which launched. January 1st. Because when do you want to have a Christmas oh, album out? okay. I thought I missed it in, in December when you said yeah. that. I'm like, how did I miss Well, that? I had okay. singles out, but I kept – there was a holdup at the distribution company, and I kept calling and emailing. and said, please, I've got, I've got to get this out for Christmas so I can sell 12 copies. And they just never got back to me. And so on New Year's Eve, they called me and said, hey, Garrett, how are you? Um, let's get, get get this figured out. And in two minutes, they had the whole thing figured out. And the next day, it was on iTunes and Spotify and everywhere. I'm like, thank you. I guess I'm doing pre-sales for 2022. But, okay. Um, so you were, you were so, working towards that, all that stuff. That's good. Because I, I working did work towards, in that yeah, yeah. I did work Christmas Eve, but I did a catering job. And uh, even, okay. even though I wrote the book, How Catering Sucks the Life Right Out of Me, I still do that once in a while. And on holidays, it's good pay. So I, I, I did well, work that day. It too, is but good it was pay. Nice. So was it an yeah. event that you can talk about? Well, it was just in the house of really nice people, and it had like 14 people, and it was me and someone else. It was just very pleasant, very nice, very easygoing. Um, so I, you know, and then we were supposed to work New Year's Eve, and it got canceled, but we still got paid like five hours. <laughs> because nice. I the last minute, so that was cool. So I got paid not to work, which was very nice. Even, yeah. Well, I, for the my Christmas album, starting in October, and I had to get you know, like authorization for my job because my job will always say, we're a very conservative company. I'm like, <laughs> as I roll my eyes, okay? But, you know, they pay my bills, so God bless America. Whatever you want me to do, jump up and down and bark like a dog, I'll do it. So I asked them ahead of time. I said, you know, I'm going to do a Christmas album, and I'm going to take the promo pictures because I want to be – you know, Santa for Christmas. And they said, you've lost your mind. And I said, well, you work with me. You already know that's the case. <laughs> so they said, yes, we'll let you do it. And I said, okay. And I promise you once Christmas comes and goes, I will shave my head and shave my beard and we'll get rid of this. 
so starting in like mid-October, every week, I had to get out the Sally Beauty Peroxide Ultra Blonde Bleach and bleach my hair. And so by the time Christmas was here, I looked like Santa. That's not a compliment to my age because this year I will turn <laughs> 29 uh, again. And so, um, but on Christmas Eve, I dressed up as Santa Claus. I had a Santa suit that I bought off of Amazon and the whole thing. And I worked at my part-time job and I closed the store and all the people were like, what the F is going on? It's Santa Claus. And I'd be like, well, you know, if, if, if you're a good little boy and girl, I'll be seeing you a little bit later tonight. So there's still hope for you. And uh, oh, wow. you know, I can't. It was great, but um, anyway, yeah. So that's why you haven't seen a lot of pictures because I've I was yeah. kind of waiting to debut that. Okay, well I definitely want to get it, and you know it's funny. I had, one of the songs I wrote uh, last year and put out was called Santa Slayed It that night on his S L E I G on his S L E I G H E S L A Y E D. So he, the kid got everything he wanted, and you know, so Santa really came through. Chris Kringle killed it. You know, he nailed it. He, yeah. So it's a really cute song. Yes, uh, but Santa Slayed It that night. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. Kind of a jazzy. To it, you tend to write more serious songs, and I try to write songs that that poke fun of absolutely everything. What what inspires you to write the type of songs that you do? Well, what's funny, I don't always write serious songs because one of my Christmas songs is "All I Want for Christmas Is Some Sleep." Another one is called "Naughty or Nice." She looks so nice, I want to get naughty with you. So, so let's just get that myth out of the way that I write. <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> so, fair. Um, but. Uh, I do, but what gives me the ideas? Is that what you asked me, or um, yeah, you know, because well, I, I remember I... the song that you wrote about the the guy that you know got sober, and the music video that you did for that that was just so powerful. I sat back and I almost cried. Um, if I had any you know real emotion in my body, I would have. I actually would have <laughs> shed a tear. But it, it was a it was a powerful song, Rick. And I watched the video and I'm listening to the words and I'm like, wow, where did this come from? And I actually, I prefer songs like that. I like songs that, I, even when I'm listening to songs, and that's why I like country music, that move you or tell a story and that kind of thing. I do have a very silly side, and, and I, I, a lot of comedy stuff I write as well. But like those, the more serious stuff, I enjoy those more. I feel they go deeper and move people. And so I, I do like that. And, of course, I like to make people laugh. So I do I like sure. keeping that. Like that Santa song is more lighthearted. I, I wrote, I think, a drinking song years ago, DWI, Decorating While Intoxicated. Oh, my so God, you know, yeah, I, I always have enough for a full Christmas album, actually, or like a Christmas cabaret show or something. Uh, which that would be I, fun. I would come to, to. I would pay money. I would pay a cover charge. And Rick, I don't pay cover charges. I would pay a cover charge <laughs> to see your Christmas cabaret. Well, you might want the money back after the show, but you know, um, no, it's funny. I, I can carry a tune if it's not too heavy. Of course, when you're in the studio, they make it sound a little better, and I can oh, sing live okay, yeah. but not you know. I'm, I sing better than Bob Dylan and Yoko Ono. I do know that. So, well, there that is a Christmas miracle because they are quite talented singers. <laughs> oh, I just lightning struck and I'm dead. Okay. Um, yeah. No, I think you've got a great voice. I like your song. You know, but it is true when you go into the recording studio, they do. Um, enhance your voice and because the people at work are always like sing 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 and I'm like yeah I'm really good in the recording studio um, I'm not good on the okay I'm going to kick you in the shin now sing a sing a song that doesn't work for right. me right so I don't know how do you get your voice ready to to sing do you have to be mentally prepared do you do vocal warm-ups a little bit vocal warm-ups I um I should do more, but there's a few things. And uh, but physically too, if you, even if you do like 
run in place a little bit and just get the energy flowing and stuff like that. That helps even too. But and then just get into the song, like just really feel a song, and so you're not even thinking about the singing as much and stuff. But um, you know, and I try to write songs that are in my range, so I don't always succeed. <laughs> but um, and that's where the the guy engineer comes in, where he you can re-sing it three or four times, or yeah, you know, um, yeah. So or he'll add, uh, yeah. So it's um. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah I'm, like, I'm not like a singer-singer. I, I'm, I'm like a maybe um, I sing okay. And, I, and if it's your own song, a lot of times it comes out better than if someone else does it because you, you, you kind of wrote it. But, um, yeah, so, I, but I, I mean, I love to sing. I wish I sang a little better. But I love writing more, so I'm okay with other people recording my songs. Actually, Karen Mason, I don't know if you know, she sang a song I co-wrote with her husband, Paul Rolnick, um, in the end of my film, Welcome on My Prod, is a song called All Kinds of Love, which is a great LGBT theme song for, you know, um, all kinds of loves matter, you know, like not just, um, sure. you know, God doesn't care, you know, it's the hate he doesn't like, he doesn't care who you love, it's like, get rid of the hate, you know. But, um, yeah, so it's always great when someone else records, because they usually sing better than I do. <laughs> So why do you now, – now, for me, I just always think, you know, I, I, I gave up a long time ago that I'm going to be the next incarnation of George Michael, okay? Because if I could sing like anybody, I would only sing like George Michael oh, yeah. forever, and yeah. that would be amazing. Um, yeah. Recognizing that's not going to happen, I had to really just accept that I'm going to sound like me. Now, I can take singing lessons and vocal lessons, which I have done and I love doing, but at the end of the day, I'm still going to sound like me, Now I'm going to probably – carry a tune better and maybe have a you know better range, but it's not going to sound like George Michael as much as I would like right. that to be the case. And I think that's kind of given me a little bit of a freedom to say, okay, I don't need to be so hung up about now. I want my performance to be good, but again, you know, you brought up the point earlier, recording time is expensive. Even if you get, you know, a family and oh, friend yeah. discount, it costs a lot of money to go in and record music. So time's money. So if they, if you want to re-record it 58 times, great, you're on the clock. Right. So, you know, it's like, okay, I, I will sing the song. I'll get the words mostly right. Try to have some inflection in there and have it be as passionate as I think that I want the song to be. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to be fantastic. And I, I'm really now kind of okay accepting me for who I am as a performer. Um, and that took, and a, that took several be. years. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, do you ever it, suffer from the the ugh? I wish I would have done it differently. Um, sometimes, but I think it's good to sing it as yourself, like not try to imitate someone, you know, and be yourself. That's part of the the uniqueness of your voice and your personality yeah. and all that. You know, it's funny you mentioned George Michael because I came up with like the little parody, like, and I'll never wear a mask again. I'm so tired of barely breathing. I'll never wear a mask again once COVID is through. I just reminded me of that. I did that last year. Not not on anything. I just no. I mean, I wasn't on anything, and I didn't up. put it on anything. But that um, is cute. <laughs> so I'll send it to Weird Al Yankovic. But anyway, um, no, don't send it to Weird Al Yankovic. You do it yourself. We can do a parody yeah, video called it. COVID Whisper. COVID Whisper. Oh, yes, that's mm -hmm. good. I didn't really title it yet yeah that that's why didn't i think of that yeah that's good well we should we should have our meeting we'll of our minds at your next songwriting we'll meeting a, we'll do it as a yeah, duet yeah we can totally you know? do it as a duet well, instead of yeah. wham we can call it bam there you go or cram or damn or something yeah. like that shazam i don't know shazam there we go do you want to be andrew or george i'll be the other one uh george i really good george my last name looks greek anyway so I'll be george. it does 
Okay, well, and I have, I've shaved my head now, and Andrew Ridgely is bald, so I could look more like Andrew Ridgely moment over moment. There you go. And you are the better singer anyway, so that would totally make sense. We're the reincarnation of Wham. I like this. This is going somewhere. You never yeah. know what's going to happen. <laughs> so can we start talking about a couple of uh, your, your books? And I want to go talk about Prada, too, by the end of the show, so don't let me forget. But you wrote a book that was really well-received um, across the book world. It was last year or the year before. Rainbow, was it Rainbow Relatives? I'm getting the title wrong. Yeah, no, that's right. Rainbow Relatives a, a few years ago. Um, how, how to talk to kids about LGBTQ families and friends. So a book for adults with a device and stories from different people on different subjects, everything from – you know, when a, a parent turns out to be gay, uh, how to talk to the kids about that, or if someone is transgender, a chapter about that, or a lot of kids today have two moms and two dads. So it's it's a book for, for adults and speaking to kids, but it was done with a sense of humor, and I got a lot of good stories from people. And um, so, yeah, it was it was pretty well received. It was on New York Times' um, non-best-selling list for a while. Not kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, no, but people really it got a lot of good reviews on Amazon and people liked it and it helped people. So yeah, I'm really kind of proud of that book. Um, and uh, it's like you know where did you get Barnes the idea for that? My accidentally for my sister. I, I was years ago talking to her about her her kids who are my nieces and nephews and they live in another state and I didn't see them too often. But I you know I guess I, they were young like at four and six and seven whatever. And I said oh by the way do your kids know about my you know orientation and. She said, I'm, I'm not sure. I think so. I don't know, quite know how to approach that. She goes, I wish there was a book on that. I'm like, that's a great uh, idea. So that was like 10 years ago. And then I, I spent like five years working, you know, kind of when I had free time and interviewed people and got people's stories. So the first chapter was on coming out to nieces and nephews. It, the first chapter was called, um, there was no monster in your closet, but your uncle was. So again, a little bit of a sense of humor. But I, and I got real stories from real people. So it's not like a, oh, at the age of five in a scientific book and boring. And so I made it yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So, but that's how I got the idea was just my sister accidentally said, you know, just said that. And I, I, I'm a writer. So I was like, that's a great idea. And that night I came up with a title, how to tell the kids about Uncle Mary and Aunt Butch. And I realized that was too silly, but I wanted to, to have a sense of humor. So it became uh, Rainbow Relatives after, you know, going through a couple different, I, and it got published, which was great because it was my first book. So I, Sky Horse Publishing published it. And then the second book I self-published during the pandemic just to get it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Well, okay. Let's talk about your second book. That's a pandemic uh, paramount <laughs> of publishing. Yes. Yeah. That one is um, how catering sucked the life right out of me. And I've done mm-hmm. like 25 years of catering in New York and California. I, you know, I joke, anyone that's done catering or been to a catering event, this book is for you because you'll get a, a, a lot of laughs out of it. Uh, my pain can be your pleasure, I say, you know. like. <laughs> so why did you decide that this is such an important story to tell? Because I think anybody, you know, if we've all done a side gig or had to do those types of things, I think we can appreciate it. But who who did you really write this book for? Well, Part of it was for me, it's initially therapeutic, you know, as you know, like it just, it's kind of fun to, you know, kind of hash things out and write them out and how you're feeling. But a lot of my coworkers, I would say, I'm going to write this book and, and I would, and, and they're like, you should, there's so many stories and things in that. And it's funny. I don't, I think a lot of people don't have appreciation for people in the service industry. So it's a way of showing some, what goes on behind the scenes. That, so people understand a little bit too, with a sense of humor, I do it, but so that you treat the waiters or the staff at a catering event, better and i think during the pandemic or once 
it was oh people because it was so, so short staffed now that and they realize how much you need those people. I, hopefully, people are treating them better. So even though it's a very fun book and uh, people laugh a lot in the book, I think it, they walk away with it for an appreciation for anyone who does catering or bartending or that any kind of service industry. So I feel like it's it is serving a little bit of a purpose. I mean, I think entertaining people alone is fine, but it's always good if you can add a little bit that they you know learn something from it. It also um, you know it it talks about in any business i'm sure you have management that abuses their staff sometimes not just in catering and all so it kind of talks about that a little bit i'm sure a lot of people have had a boss or a manager that is on a power trip so people will relate to even those stories because even if they're not in catering they've had you know bosses that were just awful and um you know some of them got their some karma i guess but anyway um so what what was your most outrageous story that we wouldn't believe. Can you share what that might be? Did it even make the book? Well, the one, it's funny that the one that comes to mind, I think of that question, because it's just so absurd. We worked a $5 million uh, birthday party for three-year-old twins. What? So they, yeah, they had one party for one twin on one day, one on the other day, they actually bought a house have the party in the house had three pools in the there the huge yard there was people doing synchronized swimming in the pools the theme to one day was Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory they had a little chocolate river running through the thing they hired little people to be the Oompa Loompas they, they had $50,000 jars of caviar on each table I hate caviar but I tried it in the back because I'm not going to let that go to waste no I mean um it was insane. Like for three-year-old kids who weren't going to remember it, you know, like, so that was right. one of the most, well, yeah, that was just, it was offensive in a way. They could have funded five of my movies. <laughs> Seriously. So, yeah. Oh, but, my um, gosh. Yeah. And there was one story where. So that that uh, was the. Yeah. No, go Sorry. ahead. Oh, no, and it was, it was a fun story, but the, the uh, groom called off a wedding the day of the wedding. So that was an interesting story in there, too. I'll let people read about that when the bride went ahead and had a great party. But, um. So do you have a story that just really melts your heart that you've seen in your years of catering? Um, I'm sure there's a, 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 some. Let me think. I like the way you say melts your heart, like it's almost a pun. I have, like, 387 puns in the book, so. Um, oh, I have to think about that a little bit because um, there are some sweet – because I worked for a lot of really nice people as well, and I include them in the book too or clients or some of the – you know, some caterers are very nice and sweet. Um, well, one of them – oh, the one that really, to me, what I love about catering sometimes you see free concerts when you're at events. So, or you know, so we were setting up an event in the, the ballroom once, and I'm putting a silver on the table, and I hear a woman on the stage, you know – rehearsing with the band and just being let's get physical physical i'm like wow she sounds a lot like olivia and john i turn around there's olivia and john in jeans and a t-shirt and she's re- rehearsing with the band she's the talent for the night i'm like oh, and i love olivia and john not as much as dolly parton but almost and uh-huh. um but anyway so we, we rehearsed a few songs and she, later on she sang all six and i don't think we were even supposed to be in the room um so that kind of melted my heart i didn't melt it because you know I don't know. Maybe that's a selfish reason, but that was amazing. Like just to be able to see her. Um, that's a great selfish paid. reason. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I honestly love her as they say, you know? Yeah. Well, she's, she's done so much. So one of my favorite films of course is Greece. And I think they had to sew her into those pants for that final number. Um, yeah. As a, as a, 
a filmmaker, what, what have you been writing or working on during the pandemic that we can expect to see out in the silver screen this year or next year, the year after? Well, probably next year. I'm trying to, I've been trying to shoot a film called Charlie's Dream. It's a family inspirational film. And uh, Jolie Fisher is going to direct it. Um, we're doing a few cast changes, so we're trying to uh, get uh, some uh, more name talent in it, and, and we're looking for investors and stuff like that. But it'll have a lot of country music in it, and it's really nice. Uh, it's very different from my other film. Um, and so we want to shoot that in Nashville, hopefully in the, next, you know, the middle of the year, or you know, depending on COVID and getting the investors and all that. And um, so then it will probably come out the following year. So that's, um, you know, I have like 12 scripts written, but that's my baby, that one I love a lot. And then one or two others might get made, hopefully, too, in the next uh, year and a half. Um, you know, some of them are getting interest and stuff like that, too. But the Charlie's Dream one, um, so, yeah, if you know people like country music or family inspirational films, um, Olympia Dukakis was going to be in it. She gave a letter of intent, you know, a few years ago because she loved the script, but um, she, uh, she passed away, unfortunately. But she to have an Oscar winner read my script and like it enough to... That was, want that to was be a huge... Awesome, awesome. So, what's the storyline on this movie that um, that we should know about? Besides the fact that it's uh, you know inspirational and Jolie Fisher is going to direct. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's Charlie's dream. So it's a guy, about a guy named Hank. No, I'm kidding. It's a guy named Charlie, and he's um <laughs> he's in his mid, like mid forties, and he hates his job, and he's separated from his wife, um, and he finds out he has a terminal illness, so it's a comedy. No, yeah, but he, he's actually been, mis- he's been misdiagnosed, but he always wanted to be a country singer. And now that he thinks he only has a few years left to live, he's like, you know what? I hate my advertising job. I'm going to, I want to pursue what I want to do. The last few years I have, I want to enjoy them and do what I want to do. So he goes to Nashville and tries to become a country singer long after anyone else, you know, long after most people could make it or whatever. And he, he ends up meeting this little girl who's like eight and she's sick in the hospital and she loves his music. She loves his own amazing grace. He always sings that for her. And it turns out her father is like the biggest producer in Nashville, which he didn't know. But, you know, she oh. kind of helps him. And, you know, it's a really sweet story. There's some, you know, uh, faith-based elements in it, but it's not really a faith-based movie. But her faith is very strong, so she's not afraid, even though she's very sick. And she inspires him. He still thinks he's going to die soon. So she really – and she really loves his music. And, you know, it's a really sweet story and with, you know, a lot of fun music and – um, I'd like to have um, Charles Esten play the lead, or Kevin Bacon could also, because he does sing some, but or he could do another role. Um, but we have a few people in mind for the main guy. You know, everyone from yeah, he's my first choice is Charles Esten. This um, and uh, a couple other, you know, Clint Black would be pretty good as far as his singing, and and the, you know, it should be an older actor who can sing. Um, because that's what the story is to someone that's going sure. after their dream long, you know, long after they would. Yeah, so I really. Um, it's a, it's a, it gets a lot of good response from it. So we just have to get into, you know, response from that. Someone says, oh, here you go. Here's a lot of money. <laughs> go, make your, go make this movie. Um, For all the listeners out there, if you've got any connections that can help Rick put two and two together, um, you need to private message me and I will connect the dots because Rick has yeah. a movie that needs to be made. That would be great. So, Rick, tell me about the Prada movie again. I actually got it on DVD. This is when I still had a DVD player, oh, right, and I think yeah. you might have even autographed it for me. And it, it is, I have it somewhere, but it's not anywhere yeah. close because I don't have a DVD yeah. player anymore. Yeah, it's, um, well, you know, no one does hardly. But it's yeah, Welcome on My Pradas. Um, it's on Amazon now. You can rent and buy it. It's on Tubi TV. 
and it's on, I think, premium YouTube as well. And that uh, we had Tom Arnold, Nathaniel Marston, Dee Wallace, Mike Starr, Bruce Valange. It's a fun film, kind of like a little Freaky Friday meets, like a has a gay straight twist. Gay straight, gay straight twist to it, I guess, is the way that, um, you know, a macho homophobic construction worker gets his sexual orientation switched thanks to some Christmas magic two weeks before his wedding. So it's kind of a fun, um, campy uh, film, but with a nice little message in there, too. And I, I play Brian in the movie. So it's a, you know, decent-sized part, not huge, you know. Um, I thought was, you stole the show, uh, but, you know, again, it, it's, it's certainly worthy of a sequel. I don't. I don't know about a sequel, but I would love to make it into a musical. Actually, I I have some ideas that would for be it. Fun. I, never, yeah, I never wrote a musical, but I have a song, uh, songs that would fit in it, and I just can see it. So yeah, maybe one day we'll see. But um, yeah, I don't think there'd be. What would the sequel be? One a mile in my Prada's. Uh, I don't know, but uh, yeah, I, okay, I, yeah, I, I'm dancing as fast as I can in my Prada's. I, the possibilities are endless. <laughs> I don't know. I. I had a psychic oh, reading movie, with one of my, my that way it'll get made because it'll look like, yeah, they'll, oh, good. It's, it's a, it's a, a right. sequel of a sequel. Well, sequel Rick, sequel. I'm telling you, we need to get together. I had a, a meeting with one of my psychics uh, probably two or three weeks ago. And I, for the last two or three years, they, anybody who's been on my show, they um, I'm, do a private reading outside and they're like, you are going to be doing like a musical. You're going to be doing uh, screenwriting. We see this, we see this, we see this. And now you're telling me about this new, I'm dancing as fast as I can on my Prada's Broadway musical. I think we've got something here. Let's go. <laughs> I, yeah. We'll I'm good for that. We'll meet at the burger place again and discuss. <laughs> I, yes. Okay. As long as we can have fries and, and ranch dressing, that's a good thing. So we've got about 10 minutes left. What else would you like to make sure our listeners know about you, what you're working on, who you are as this energy in the world? Uh, I don't know. You know, it's funny. Like, when people talk about what they do for work or this or that, and I, because I love writing so much, it doesn't even feel like work. So I'm always writing stuff. And I think we talked about a lot of it. Um, you know, the, I think we talked about most of the songs. That, well, yeah, let me, wish let I me ask you this. So as, as, a, as a songwriter, as an author, and as a screenwriter, those are three completely different approaches. I love writing lyrics to songs. To me, it's 26 lines. I know my story top to bottom, and there we go. I've written a book. That was a completely different experience. I have not written a movie. I have written um, um, TV pilots. I had a show that I wanted to take and do. It was going to be a combination between Frasier meets Portlandia, and I was going to play you know, the main character. And I wrote it and I submitted the um, – I don't know. Do you call a sc- it a screenplay if it's a TV script, whatever, pilot or whatever? Um, but I wrote the script. Pilot, yeah, yeah. pilot, yeah. And I submitted it, got some great feedback, and it never really went anywhere. So I said, well, apparently that's not supposed to happen. Um, but it's, it's a completely different process, I think, for each. How do you get in the mindset of doing one over the other? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I had no idea I would write other, you know, I would, like I said, I started writing songs. I remember when I was like, 12 or something. I remember seeing Johnson's Baby Shampoo and um, the thing it said, No More Tears, and I thought, oh, that's a good song title, and I wrote a little song I remember. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing that so long, the songs, um, and then I never, I started writing cool sketches, so those are like maybe a few minutes, and those were fun, but I never thought I'd write a whole screenplay, but when I had the idea for the product, I did that, and, and I didn't know how to do that, so I took a six-week or a 12-week uh, screenwriting class when I uh, uh, okay. when I first moved to, to, to uh, California. So that really helped. 
learn how to write. And I got final, they said get final draft. They did all that. And I wrote that screenplay and people read it and made suggestions and I rewrote it and this and that. And then Tom Archdeacon actually did a lot of rewrites with me. So he's a co-writer on it and stuff. So yeah, but it is. And then for the, I never thought I'd write a book. So then when I had the idea for that, like from my sister, I, Again, I just started, you know, just start. I get, if someone wants advice, like, oh, people say, oh, I want, I want to write a book. I want to do this. And they just keep saying they want to do it. You have to just start it. You, you don't know what, how the format or whatever. At least write something down so you write five pages so you have it. And then if someone else might know how to organize it. Oh, I do that too. Like a few people had books where they were writing, but they didn't know how to. So they kind of hired me to help them format the book or add things or organize it or ask them questions that would help them put stuff in the book. And so that was, I did the one, I did that for Cody Reniger and his book is um, Changing the Stars. It's a great book, uh, memoir. And so that's a good book for people to look for, but I was kind of like a ghostwriter and I helped him with it. He had a great story and he's a great person. So that was good. Um, I almost forgot about that. That came out last November and it's on, yeah, Amazon and everything. So, so, but yeah, each, each thing has, it's a, yeah, so just, and to read other, like I had to read a lot of other scripts to see, you know, kind of get the feel for them. Or, and I read a lot of books on screenwriting also. And then by co-writing with a few other people, which I've done also, I learned, you know, from that. But I never actually went to school for how to write, you know, um, you know, like NYU or, or filming and stuff like that. But so each one is a little different. You know, with a book, you want to, you have to, you can say more in a book of what the person is thinking. A lot of people make that mm-hmm. mistake. Like in a, in a screenplay, they're, they're writing what the guy's thinking. You're not going to see that on the stage. You have to either say it out loud or you have to show it in some way, an action he's doing. But you can't write it the same way you would in a novel, a screenplay. It's, it's, it doesn't read. It doesn't, yeah. So, um, so yeah, they're all a little different. Um, and I think also, pl- I don't write plays like for the stage, uh, but those are more word usually have more dialogue, but my scripts tend to have a lot of dialogue anyway. <laughs> um, and they can add some of the action later. Or it's, I don't really write action films, so that's the other thing. I write usually comedy and uh, one courtroom drama that I wrote. Um, and hopefully these will be coming out before I'm great. Oh, too late. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, Rick, I, I will tell you, it's, you know, from your Prada to the, you know, the Christmas music to, um, you know, everything you're involved in. I, I just love the fact that you just push forward and you keep doing what you're doing. Because as somebody who is creative himself, I like to think I'm always going to be doing more. And, you know, when um, I was telling somebody today, yeah, I'm going to do a new album this year sometime. And I really don't know what I'm going to do because I'm creatively dead. And then I come on the show tonight and I'm talking to you and you've given me like 20 different ideas about things that I can do next. And you've just kind of reignited a fire under me. What, who, how do you stay inspired and how do you keep going? Um, it's funny because sometimes it can, I guess it's hard sometimes just because you're, I, I am always, like I said, the ideas come, so I just go with them. Um, and the writing is, is easy and you know, but getting stuff made sometimes or getting it out there is hard, but I do have a certain amount of determination and patience and, and all that, I think, which helps. I mean, cause you have to, I mean, a lot of people would have given up certain things a long time ago. Um, you know, I don't have a nine to five. I do, uh, you know, stuff that's, um, I can make my own hours or I can at least, I'm not always, I'm flexible. I need, and that's the one good thing about in catering, there's a lot of F words that come to mind about it, but one of them is flexible, which is a good thing. Um, 
so that helps to, to do that. But because I like doing it, it keeps the and that and I have the most energy when I'm doing the things that I love. But yeah, it is hard sometimes because you do have to do other things to make money when you're trying to get your projects out there. So that can be a little bit, you know, you can be exhausted. And then when you have to mm-hmm. do your own stuff, you know, I'm sure most people deal with that. But um, but the more focus you can put on what you love doing, I think the better. And so I try to do that. Um, I, yeah, but it's it, it can be frustrating at times. But I'm, I'm you know, you just got to keep keep going. Like you know, like just. And I'm not one of the people that I write. Okay, I'm going to get up at nine and write till four and. I kind of just find the times that I can write during the week. I try to do a certain amount of it. I'm not really an uh, organized person in that sense of like, or a, what do you call that? A scheduled, you know, someone who's. You block kind of your time. Day. Okay, I'm going to write from yeah, one to two. I'm and, yeah. That kind of person. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and everyone has to work the way they work, you know, what is best for them, I think. You know, if you try to do it the way someone else does it and you don't, it's not good, you're not going to do it because you don't feel right. comfortable or not working for you. But. So yeah, I just um, I try to stay positive. I try to I um, I think I also read. Sometimes I'll read an inspirational book by somebody, or you know, um, I just read D. Wallace's uh, book, uh, new book, um, Born, and that's kind of you know because that just puts you in a good mood and you know follow what you want and this and that. Um, so yeah, I just uh, and, and and kind of like what you said, if someone else is doing something, I'm like, oh, if they can do it, I can do it. And my biggest inspiration. Is Dolly Parton what she's done and her creativity and I, she really inspires me and I, 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 I love she's one of my favorite uh, performers and entertainers and songwriters um, and she's 75 and still going strong so if I feel tired sometimes or whatever I'm like I just think of Dolly Parton and you know uh, you know I would love to be um, as creative as I can and um, and do as much good as I can I think that's what she does so um, yeah anyone that knows me that knows I'm a huge Dolly Parton fan so. Do you get up at 3 a.m. and do your makeup? No, I don't do that. I don't even okay. get up at 9 a.m. to do my makeup. No, I'm okay. up at 6 okay. or 7, but I don't really do makeup. I don't. Okay. Yeah, I just, well, you know, because she's famous for getting up at 3 a.m. to start doing her hair and makeup and meditate yes. and all of that good stuff. Yes. So I do put my wig on at 9, but no, I'm kidding. Yeah, okay. Um, well, no, as, as we all do. I should get it at some point. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Well, Rick, we are fast running out of time. It's just a huge pleasure to reconnect with you. Everybody, it's been Rick Karatosh. I've got all the hyperlinks for his socials on the show page here on Blog Talk Radio. If you're listening on iHeartRadio or Apple's podcast, again, uh, Rick, do the shameless plug for your website one more time. Sudirick.com, S-U-D-I-R-I-C-K.com. I'm on Facebook under Rick Sudi Karatosh. And uh, YouTube channel on there. Uh, my sketches and stuff are on there as well. My song, like All I'm Off for Christmas, Them Sleep, if you put that in, that should not to be confused with the Mariah Carey freaking song. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, well, no, yeah, because you're not yeah, in the little outfit. You know, I'm on Instagram. I think that's under Sudi Rick. I'm not sure. S U D I R I C K, and last name is K A R A T A S. So I use my first name and I, I go by Rick also. Two names because I'm a Gemini and I drive in the HOV lane by myself and get out of getting a ticket. No, I'm kidding. I don't. See, Rick does everything, everybody. Follow him. Be part of his experience and you will be very pleased indeed. Again, next week we'll be welcoming back Rob Watson, host of Rated LGBT Radio on Thursdays here on the network at 2 p.m. It is a pleasure to have you all join us. Please listen, share, forward the show, and we will see all of you back here live next Monday night right here on 
Rated G Radio. Thank you, Rick. You've been listening to Rated G Radio.